0: My name is Sydney. Uh, Thank you so much for asking me to speak, first of all. My name is Sydney, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, My sobriety date is January 19th of 2021. And everyone that knew me and my alcoholism is very grateful for that. Um, I'm gonna first say that I have a lot of outside or I had a lot of outside issues outside of alcoholism. So I'll just let that be known now. Um, And I'm gonna try really hard to speak for just 10 minutes um i am an only child Uh, my parents are in my opinion some of the greatest parents ever um but they did emotionally neglect me for a good while um and so i learned how to self-loathe abuse myself um be a doormat people please all of that good stuff um but for the most part i was a good kid i was a good teenager i was a productive young adult um I didn't really realize a problem until after my divorce in around 2017. Um, It was a really nasty divorce. It was a really abusive relationship in all ways that a relationship could be abusive. But um, I realized after I moved back to Texas that I was severely traumatized and I didn't know how to deal with it or what to do. I didn't have any skills to cope with it. Um, So I turned to drinking. And other things. Um, so I was, you know, living on my own in an apartment and just, I just kind of went ham for a year or two there. I don't even know how long. And so I ended up reaching out to my parents and saying, um, I think I need to move back home. I think I have a problem. And they told me, yeah, of course, you know, you can move back home anytime, but you don't have a problem. Like you're fine. You need to clean up a little bit. You're all right but they didn't see me drink. And so I moved back home. And then after that, it was a vicious cycle of stealing, getting caught, getting kicked out, homelessness, jail, moving back in, getting sober, stealing, getting kicked out, just constant. And I, I stole so much from them as their only child. And that still kills me today, but I, I robbed them of their peace and sanity though. And I think that's really what killed them and me the most. But um I ended up uh getting caught red-handed after being sober, like dry for a little while. And uh they, it's not funny, but um they got a charge on their on their bank account and it was like one o'clock in the morning an hour away from where we live and it was from a chase atm they don't have chase like i couldn't even go to their bank to avoid the fee you know but whatever they knew they knew what it was and so they they called me in there and asked me what it was and i told them that is one thing i can always say about myself is that i always came clean when anybody asked i would tell them what i was doing and so i told them and you know They sent me away in my room and I did all the things that we do when we get caught. I was thinking about killing myself and I was just crying and hating myself for the person that I was. and, And like one desperate attempt to get help, I logged on to a Zoom AA meeting, much like this one. And I spoke for the first time. I turned my camera on i looked at a hot mess i was just bawling crying and I, all all i said really was i need help i don't know what to do um, i think i'm gonna die if i keep doing this and and i just i need help and so i put my number in the chat and i got tons of texts but i got a call from a guy um before the meeting even ended he didn't even wait he called me <laughs> And we talked for about an hour or so, and he listened to me. He was so kind. It was probably one of the first people in AA that I, that I saw, you know, the light that you see in them and the the kindness that you see in them that you almost don't believe at first, um, And, uh, later I found out he's like the king of AA and DFW. So that's cool. But, um, (laughs) he said, I, I think I have a sponsor for you. I think I have somebody that would be really great for you. Are you ready to get sober? And I said, yes. And so he sent her number over to me and I called her and we had our first of many hour long, many hour long conversations. And she asked me, are you willing to do anything I tell you to do? And I said, yes. And I didn't know that I was telling the truth, but I was, because I did. I did everything that woman told me to do, even when I didn't want to, because I was desperate. I was desperate enough. And thank God I was desperate enough. Um, But I, although I found everything I was looking for, and I I was so happy and I was doing everything, you know, she told me to do. I still relapsed after like six or seven months or so. Um, but the problem wasn't the program or anything I was doing really. It was, it was a couple of outside issues. And so I did it all again. I went to rehab. I started working the steps again, worked with the same sponsor. I uh, started working the steps again and I, I did it all over again. But this time I wanted more accountability. I, uh, moved into a sober living house where I knew I couldn't get away with anything where it, which is where I still am now. Um, I took every responsibility that came my way, took every commitment that came my way, took multiple commitments at my home group. I never missed my home group, which I did many times before that. Um, I just, I just tried harder this time, I think. And, um, I even work with my sponsor now. How's that for uh, accountability all the time? Um, So right now, I, uh, everything is just better than I could ever imagine it being, you know, I've, I have a working car. I've got my dog back. Like that is the biggest thing for me right now. Um, me and my family, we have a great relationship now and therefore up until like a couple months ago, I couldn't talk to them. I had to give them the space that they deserved after breaking their hearts so many times. Um, and I did, I, I had to selflessly be like, okay, they need what they need and they deserve it. And I'm going to step away. And I did. And now we just, we have a better relationship than I could imagine having at this time. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm still working my steps now. I'm taking my time on them this time. I'm working really, really hard to be thorough and honest on them because I think I, I left some stuff out, especially in my fourth step. So I stayed on my fourth step for a good few months this time because I, I wanted to get all the nitty gritty, dirty feelings out. You know, I didn't put the terrible thoughts that I had and actions that I really had. You know, I, I kind of sugarcoated it and she knew I did, you know, but there wasn't really anything she could do about it at the time. Um, I, uh, the Oxford house, the sobriety living house that I live in now is such a blessing to me because I'm actually now the person who has lived here the longest. And so I get the opportunity to be the person that they turn to when they need help and when they need advice and when they're having problems. And that makes me so happy. Like I have, sometimes they'll be like, Oh, I don't want to annoy you. I feel like I'm burdening you with my stuff. I'm like, you have no idea how much it helps me at the end of the day to be able to talk to you about your stuff. It gets me out of my head. It helps me to not focus so much on my problems. But I said the same thing when I was young in sobriety, you know, I said, thank you. I said the same thing. I was afraid of burdening people. I was afraid of reaching out the same way, but it is true. It helps people, other people. It helps the person that you're reaching out to. Um, I think people come on and speak and, and say a lot of flowery things that sound really good in, in the meetings sometimes. They're all true. You know, all those things that I used to roll my eyes at, they're all true. But I really liked it when people get, would give me concise things that worked for them. So I'm going to give you a couple of things that worked for me in early sobriety. I didn't date. I stopped dating. I stopped dating for, I mean, I still don't date, but um, it's because I don't want to now before. I just didn't cause I couldn't because I knew I needed to learn how I needed to learn why I, they were all so toxic. That obviously is not a them problem. If they're all toxic, that's a me problem. I'm seeking this out and I'm okay with it. So I stopped dating. Um, don't ever forget how long you've been sober down to the day. Um I'm sober 9 months and 11 days today and tomorrow will be 12 days. And I know that because I don't lose track of it. Um that was the first thing that I stopped doing when I relapsed. As I stopped counting my days and that meant that I wasn't grateful anymore for those days I thought I had it. I thought I was good. So I stopped counting. Um every day I wake up and I say okay, I'm this long sober thank God for that. You know, And I go to bed and I say, thank you for keeping me sober today. Um, which leads me into my next thing. Um, find something every day to be grateful for. Uh, a grateful alcoholic is a sober alcoholic. Somebody said that to me a long time ago. And another thing we can roll our eyes at, but it's true. Um, if you're, if you're grateful for something, it's one less moment that you can be down on yourself or hating your life. Or, and that's easy to do right now. Um, And the last thing, easy, I mean, not easy, but simple, call your sponsor every day, every single day, not text, call them, call them, tell them everything, be open with them, be honest with them. There is no point to talk to them and to not tell them every single thing they're there to help you, even if it's gross to say what you're thinking, even if you think they're going to judge you just say it because it's going to help you in the long run and it's going to help them in the long run too. You'll see that later when people start reaching out to you for help. I never could have imagined that I would be in this place where people want to hear what I have to say, where people come to me for advice. (laughs) I would have laughed in your face if you told me that that was going to be me a year ago. So um, that's pretty much all I have to say. I can't believe I got that in 10 minutes. I must've talked really fast. I'm really sorry about that. But again, I'm so, this will be my thing for today that I'm grateful for that I was asked to speak to you guys today. And um, congratulations to all the newcomers. Keep coming back. Go to a meeting every day, please. That's all I got.
1: I'm Cody Kirkman. I'm an alcoholic. This is a first for me on Zoom. I usually speak in person. So. It's going to be a little bit weird for me. Uh, I'll go ahead and give everybody fair warning. I am at work. I just uh, got finished working. Actually, technically, I'm not even done. Uh, That's just my life now. Uh, I'm going to try to explain in a general way what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like today. Um, What I'm like today is really just what you see in front of you. Uh, My sponsor calls this my disguise. It's a clever disguise. As a functioning member of society, that's basically what this is. So you see this. This is what I wear to work. This is my office. Uh, I am here all day, every day. I'm a finance director at a very predominant car lot in in North Texas. Um, I run two different buildings, three different brands. Um, and i you know i'm so 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 important um and that is my my job title right and so my my life today is work i have my four children that i love just so so much i have 18 year old two 15 year olds and a 2 year old and um They are all just in their own right, just the most awesome kids ever. And that's kind of in a nutshell what I'm like today. This functioning member of society that you see in front of you is uh, truly just an old drunk convict. That's basically what it boils down to. I have not been sober that long. My sobriety date is February the 17th, February the 16th. I'm sorry, of 2017. I always get too mixed up with the year, February 16th, 2017. And I am truly grateful for that. Um, I'll kind of dive into what I was like, what I used to be like, and what I typically, I like to share of kind of how, You know, what you're looking at is just the result of doing step work, listening to a sponsor, trying to go to as many meetings as I possibly can. I did that quite a whole, whole lot the first year and a half of sobriety. Um, You know, ever since I've been so important, that kind of falls by the wayside a little bit. But with these Zoom meetings, I actually get a chance to go more than I I regularly do. I've just never spoken at one. So um, what I was like, however, was wretched Um, you know to to put it mildly uh, I like reading this part in chapter 11 it says for most normal folks drinking means conviviality companionship and colorful imagination it means release from care boredom and worry it is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking the old pleasures were gone they were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an incessant yearning to enjoy life as we once did in a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt, one more failure. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself, as we became subjects of King Alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm, The chilling vapor that his loneliness settled down. It thickened, ever becoming blacker. Some of us sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. Momentarily, we did. Then would come oblivion and the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen. Terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. Now and then, a serious drinker being dry at the moment says... I don't miss it at all. Feel better, work better, having a better time. As ex-problem drinkers, we smile at such a Sally. We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. He fools himself. Inwardly, he would give anything to take a half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday, he will be unable to imagine life either with or without with alcohol or without it then he will know loneliness such as few do he will be at the jumping off place he will wish for the end um that's exactly who I was when I got to you um I had been through sobriety before and I had had long-term sobriety and I went back out I stayed out for almost six years And that's exactly who came to you, was somebody who tried to end their own life and who was just completely desperate, trying the old game any which way that he could. Uh, I grew up in Arlington, uh, right down the street from where I'm at now. Uh, My alcoholic father and my untreated Al-Anon mother, who is still untreated Al-Anon to this day. Um, It's, um, you know, I think that my opinion being that my father, right, was somebody that I still remember to this day as I feel loved and safe and protected and happy. Um, I remember my second Christmas and my third birthday um, like they were yesterday, probably because I got presents. You know, anything that's about me, I remember. Uh, My second Christmas, I got a little horse that had the little noise maker on it that uh had a little probably one of the first electronic little things that you take home um and one of those little dragon bouncy balls that had the little reins on them and you just bounce around and uh, my third birthday i got a dukes of hazard birthday cake uh and a 45 of wayland jennings and had the die cast middle general lee right there i wish i still had that stuff and um That was my third birthday, April 16th, 1982. And my father was killed in a car crash six days later, right after he dropped me off. Um, So what I, you know, I remember waving bye to him and, you know, feeling happy, you know, that uh, we had just hung out. And that's really all that I remember from really that long ago. All I know is that I was safe, happy protected, and loved by him. Um, The autopsy showed that he had advanced cirrhosis. He was 31. So his alcoholism was real deep. Uh, My mother would tell me about these tales about how he was going to kidnap me and my brother and, and take us off and, and, you know, uh, do bad things with her. I don't remember any of this. I, I just, all I remember was happy presence and you know, that's it. Um, I don't remember going in his, uh, eighties CJ Jeep and flipping over, uh, him being drunk, the police taking him home, I remember none of this. Uh, these are just things that my mother tells me later. So uh, my brother was 11 when all of this happened, and he, he got hit pretty hard with it. He went to move and live off with his grandmother. And so I didn't really have a whole lot to do with him until I was 15. By then, I had already started drinking. My, uh, my first drink was a drink of consequence, uh, as with many thereafter, not every single time, but I want to make this clear that nobody has to go to jail. Nobody has to get in trouble. You know, you don't have to have the same things going on that I did. This is just what happened to me. My experience is that I drink. I typically get in trouble. So, uh, as basically I was a very smart kid. Uh I got straight A pluses and was in advanced classes. I was reading and writing when I was three years old. Um all the way through junior high until I took my first drink. I was the typical, you know, way advanced honor student. Uh when I got into junior high and I was into sports, playing baseball, my brother was around. Um you know, I was into music, he got me deeper into music. And so as I started discovering things that my mother didn't want me to discover, I started to become my own person. And then, you know, the infamous first drink. Uh, my parents were having a block party. I don't even know why, because they're teetoblers. Uh But everyone in the neighborhood was down at their house. So we went up to Lisa's, and everybody's got the liquor cabinet just raided out. And uh, Skull Vodka, this wonderfully cheap stuff, probably five bucks for the big old... Um, thing there had the little filter top on it all these girls and and even some of the guys you know they're taking taking a couple of sips and they got the orange juice and they got the ice and you know they're making drinks and you know i've seen people drink on tv and movies and i equate these things with a good time i mean my parents are way down there it, I don't have forever. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right. So I just took the bottle, started taking a couple of sips. It didn't take long. Um, but within five minutes, that heat just went all the way in and through me. And I literally lost every fear that I ever had. Um, the Best way that I can explain it was up until that point. I was such a a weird kid inside, is how I felt, that if an alien spacecraft had landed and a little bunch of aliens ran out and they just said, okay, we're ready for you to come home, I'd have been like, oh, cool, that makes sense. That's exactly how I felt. Like, I was not made or meant to be put in this world, and therefore, I was just kind of waiting for the curtain to go up or, you know, some alien craft to come and get me and take me home Um, and when I hit that and felt that and all of those fears everything that I felt isolated and weird I was not Uh, I was the life of the party everybody loved me Um, I made jokes everything is great Uh, I was much better looking and everything about the perception of me changed everywhere and uh, I got in trouble, got grounded. Uh, that didn't stop me. I mean, I was only 14 years old. What, what can you do at 14? It's not like I was drinking every day. But I knew that was going to be a big part of what, what my life was going to be. So, you know, we plug right along. I, uh, I don't get into a whole bunch of trouble. But anytime time I go sneaking around, I get grounded, whatever. When I got into high school, things changed a little bit. Um, I basically was middle, very beginning of my sophomore year. Um, my older brother, um, same, same one that ran off to live with his grandmother, you know, real, still real affected by my father's death. He, uh, hung himself in his jail cell and I was 15 years old. It hit me pretty badly. Devastated considering he was just really, you know, coming around more, coming to my baseball games. Things were good. You know, I didn't know anything about his life, what he was doing. Apparently, he was, you know, kind of like me, getting in trouble, on parole, doing this and cross state lines and broke it and just decided he's not going to go to prison. So he just hung himself with his own shoestrings. So he uh, left a note and uh left whatever it is to me and my grandfather and uh so that was the the beginning of my sophomore year so i hadn't even started school yet and so my first day of school i come in and i you know my other older brother he's a senior i'm a sophomore him and his friends are leaving to go to lunch and i'm coming back from lunch i had the early one we got to leave and go wherever we wanted to go and um so one of the guys was like hey man come to lunch with us i was like man it's like i can't first day school you know how that goes dude they don't even take roll the first day of school come on i figure well these guys have been here longer than me some of them a whole lot longer so why not sure Go, so I'll have drinks at the bar. This, so this is my beginning of sophomore year, and I'm just as it goes. Um, all of this goes very quickly. I become, you know, the typical high school dropout. Um, always get in trouble, lunch detention, get caught at school whatever the case is. Parents don't like to have any of it. You know, they're all about church in the church every time the doors open. So I'm in trouble all the time. And so, of course, my mother thinks that I'm uh, possessed by demons. So we exercise that route for a while. When she figures out That, uh, you know, that my brain being infected by devils is not going to be, uh, I guess, cured so easily. She starts other type of things, psychiatric treatment, all kind of different stuff. Well, I left home when I was 16 anyway, so I just didn't bother. Right. It just was easier for me. She didn't complain too much about it because she didn't want to see me deteriorating anyway. So we just kind of went on about our lives. And I would just kind of bounce in and out of their lives as, you know, time permits. And I started going to jail early. Um, From the time I was 15 until the first time I stopped drinking at 22, I was probably arrested 40 times. Um, Got five DWIs, uh, all kind of different other charges. There's just no telling. But the last time that it caught up to me was the big one. So I was facing 121 years in prison and I must have been every bit of 22 and I had gotten two DWIs just a couple of months before and um, they had come and, and raided my buddy's apartment and mine and seized all of our stuff and, and charged us with drug charges. Well, my, I felt like a Snickers commercial. My bail was like $50,000. And up until this point, I mean, everything that I had gone to jail for, I'd get out for, you know, 500 bucks, 1500 bucks, two grand, whatever this $50,000. I just felt like a Snickers commercial. Okay. Well, I'm not going anywhere for a while. So I just sit here and then, uh, you know, of course mom and dad come to the rescue. Here we come. Uh, we're going to get you the right kind of help, the right kind of treatment. And this time, really, really happy that they did. Um, I dried out on their couch for six days, got sent to a treatment center down in the hill country in Texas and uh, got sober for the first time. Heard the message. I heard what was in the book. I heard uh, We Agnostics where it says, You know, if, when you honestly want to, you find that you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably an alcoholic. And even at 22 years old, logic, you know, can't escape because I see my mother, right? My mother, you know, she has a half of a margarita and she goes, whew, ah, I'm starting to feel it. I'm i I'm, I'm going to lose control. You give me two drinks. Up until that point, my whole life is out of control. You give me two drinks, and I feel in control. That's the difference between me and my mother. She starts to feel out of control. I start to feel in control. So uh, the message that I got in treatment was DAA message. It was not watered down, diluted. It wasn't, you know, uh, any type of, I'm sure, I mean... The treatment center did have psychiatric fluff to it, um, but fraught, the emotional appeal seldom suffices with us. And uh, just like the book says, the message that can hold these alcoholic types must have depth and weight. And what I heard was I have an actual physical allergy. I have a, a mental obsession, this mental twist in my brain that other people don't have and i've got this spiritual sickness about me and selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of my trouble and uh i ran with it and i had a spiritual awakening at that place and from 22 to 31 ish i mean i was gung-ho for aa i mean i was the poster boy for AA. I, my goal was to be the youngest delegate in AA history. I mean that I mean who has an aspiration like that? Just so ridiculous, but that's how sick and demented I really am. I come back and I was my groups coffee cleaner, cleanup person, uh, cigarette butts, you know, back then in early 2000 you smoke in groups still uh I became alternate GSR, GSR, alternate DCM, alternate convention chair, convention chair. I literally did all of my service work for two years at a time. And, um, you know, built a life, got married, had three children. They're all wonderful. Um, I did everything that, you know, a good AA would do. And, um, I failed to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life. Um, I did service work at a level that I grew a resentment, uh, had a resentment, decided not to go back to my home group. Decided, I don't need these people. I can do this on my own. I've been sober for eight and a half years. I'm fine. Um, You know, everything about that part of sobriety was arrogance, ignorance, you know, I I, I had a, a willingness and I had, you know, every bit in me wanted to be somebody that did, you know, everything by the book and wanted to do the right thing and have all of this stuff. And, you know, I would beat people over the head with the AA book, you know, and at 24 years old, I'm like, oh, that, that person just doesn't know what sobriety is all about. And I mean, we're talking about guys that are 20 years sober, you know, um, little did I know, right. I mean, this is just how I approached the way that, you know, my selfishness and self-centeredness still was the root of my trouble still always will be the root of my trouble. And, uh, you know, as I go on, uh, I, I didn't make it maybe six months without a meeting. Uh, I call my first drink an accidental drink, uh, but if I retrace the steps of my relapse, it's nothing accidental about it. I mean, yes, I was out at a bar. I that's for some reason in my sobriety was not abnormal then, right? I was dating somebody that drank. It was not abnormal for me to order her and her friends drinks, right? The bartender knew me, right? They knew that I don't drink. They make a mistake. By the time I realized it, I had already drank the whole thing. It's just another normal night. By the time that drink hits me and it does that thing, uh, at 31, it was different than when I was younger in my teenage years. And uh, I paused, took a break. You know, the girlfriend came out, checked on me. You okay? Okay. I said, you know, I just was making a big deal about this whole thing. I guess I'm not allergic to alcohol really at all. So that started. And within a year and a half, I was worse than I had ever been as a teenager, as a early 20s, as an adult, anything. I was worse within a year and a half. Um, all, all of the business model and everything that I, had, that I had started to do in my sobriety and built in my sobriety, my marriage was already over a long time ago. That didn't take long to figure out. I mean, uh, we were listening to a speaker earlier, not having in a relationship. I, I got uh, somebody pregnant at six months sober, married them at 10 months sober, uh, you know, Duh, But uh, I have three beautiful teenagers that are just as awesome as can be, so can't complain about it. But it, uh, everything about what I had gone through, built in sobriety, the trust, everything with my parents, my family, friends, uh, business associates, acquaintances, uh, all of it was within a year and a half, everyone was already starting to, oh this guy's different. This is this is this is a different thing. This is not the same person. It's kind of like right now, right? I started off as what I'm like today, right? You see me. Every single person that has been in this office today, if they heard just half of what I was just discussing. Oh no, surely not this guy, right? I am Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I am 100% an insane person. And I have to be restored to sanity. So my alcoholic level, it, 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 my experience, right? It does not matter if I am a binge because that's what I am as an adult as in my 30s. I'm a binge drinker. I can hide it. I can conceal it. Uh, I'm very good at deceiving people telling, Oh yeah. You know, I used to be an alcoholic, but I'm not that way anymore. Um, so it got really bad. And when I say really bad, I mean, y'all already know that I had gone to jail 40 times at five DWIs. How can it get worse? Right. Um, well, I went to prison for two and a half years. Um, I ended up losing my business licenses everything about everything was gone and it still did not shake me to be a sober person. I was not sober in prison. Um, It's very difficult to get things. So it's not like I was really messed up, but definitely wasn't sober. Uh, The only meetings that I would pretend to go to were, uh, you know, just to get out of my dorm room, because uh, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but prison is very lonely and ridiculous. So especially Texas, (laughs) it's, um, you know, anything that you can do to get out of where you stay all the time, is you know excuse after excuse there's AA. there's school there's uh recreation there's jobs you know you just want to get up and leave wherever you're at because it's just that depressing all the time but didn't make me no didn't didn't want to stop didn't want to get sober uh didn't think maybe i should get sober uh lots of signs lots of signs pointing out to it Uh, matter of fact I was on a binge one night and, uh, I, (laughs) this, uh, girl's house that I was at, she was basically hurrying me, you know, Hey, your Uber drivers downstairs. I'm like, how did I get an Uber? Oh, I called you one. Don't worry. Uh, I go downstairs. My Uber driver is a guy that I was sober with for eight years in my area service work and that was a long 45 minute ride after a night of being up for four days um you know signs just keep popping up everywhere I don't take them um when I get out I immediately meet and fall in love with the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with and that person actually saved my life more than any one person that I can ever think of I could stay sober for weeks. I even made it a few months a couple of times, but, uh, you know, these binges were still there. And so I would, as an adult, I get myself together. I, you know, I pretended, you know, she didn't notice or suspect a whole lot until about six months when I forgot to lock the bathroom door. Long story short, um, she found out real quick, and uh, things were the jig was up, uh, and it was just a battle back and forth of you know you're not going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to pour down my supply, and I did that a bunch. First person, I mean, anybody previous tried to get in the way of me and my drink, or me and anything else, I make a conscious decision. Well, you're not going to get in the way of me. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. I'll take what I got here. Appreciate you. Have a good day. Bye. Not her. Her. uh, It was solemn. It was sincere. Uh, I would pour out every bit of my, my supply around the house, everything in front of her. Uh, And knowing that I had nothing else, no money to go get anything else. I meant it, right? I'm done this time. Honey, I swear I'm done. Why I you are more important than anything in the world. I am done. And she knew I meant it. I think that's the only thing that kept her, you know, whenever I would inevitably fail again. It was the only thing because she looked in my face and she knew that I was serious and I was not playing around. And somehow she always knew, you know, and she just gave me that look, you're the Dumbest genius I've ever met in my life. And that's just a cyclical thing, how it would be with us all the time. Um, Finally, as this thing goes through, how selfish I was. So she divorced her husband for being a drunk. Um, And about the time that things get really, really bad, uh, he ended up killing himself in his own garage and, uh, I've never seen any reaction like that, uh, from any human being. It was just awful. The father of her children, uh, she had to go pull her daughter out of school and, uh, you know, do this thing. And I'm, of course, trying to make the best of what I got with it and, uh, you know, not doing the best job, but doing okay. And, um, Finally, after about a month and a half, she just said, you get sober, you get the F out. I'm done. I will not do this again. I'm not going through this with my children. I'm not going through it with yours. You get sober or you leave now. And this time, she really meant it. Um, And though it took me about six weeks, I did it. Uh, Went to rehab um, one more time down in the hill country. Different place. Great people uh, got reacquainted and reintroduced to, it was like a wind rushing over me. As soon as I walked into an AA meeting, I knew I was home. Um, the only thing that did not take was I, uh, got out and, um, we spending holidays with the family and, uh, we were supposed to meet up, you know, I would call her every Sunday, you know, on my, my cell phone, we get to use our cell phones on Sundays and we were going to see if we could work it out. You know, that's the whole, of course, you know, you're in rehab. You just want to work it out. And so, uh, I, I called and her sister answers the phone and I'm mad immediately. Ah, what are y'all still doing in Nacogdoches? And da, 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 da. and she said, honey, calm down. This is, this is, we're not in Nacogdoches. We're in Plano. Uh, Eric is in a coma. She's had a heart attack. You need to come and get here as soon as you can. So, uh After about 27 hours, uh, she finally took her last breath as I watched. Uh, The day I got my 30-day coin was her funeral. And as soon as I got about 100 miles away from her family, I just uh, looked up and said, to hell with you. And um, had the binge to end all. Right, And um, I woke up valentine's day was when i tried to end it when i woke up on the 15th my uh head was on the ground my feet were in my car and uh didn't know where i was called the only people that i knew in austin and uh finally got to a ten thirty p.m meeting don't even know what time i woke up but uh officially uh you know had a beer and and some dry goods on the way to the meeting just so i could level out and uh woke up the next day so february 16th is is the new sobriety day and um you know i just even though i spent a little bit of time kind of going on my clever disguise as functioning member of society um So much has happened in just, you know, four and a half years that I don't even know where to begin. Um, And so quickly, right? Uh, I I make amends to this woman daily, even though I never got to do it with her because I didn't get to see her. Um, You know, her kids, uh, her son got married in February. I was at the wedding with her mother, her sisters. Um, you know, her daughter's about to graduate Arkansas State. I'm going to be there. Um, her, her sister just called me this week to make sure that I was still on for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, you know, today is exactly what it says in the 12 and 12. The 12 and 12 says that the AA steps are a set of principles spiritual in their nature, which is practiced as a way of life can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. Um, The only thing that I've done right in four and a half years is get up, hit my knees, ask God every single thing about keeping me sober, putting me on the right path doing the direction, calling my sponsor, um, meditating. You know, I'm not very good at that. Maybe two minutes. (laughs) Um, If I, if I even get to that, um, but everything about today is 100% the opposite of the sobriety that I used to have because it's no longer about me. It's only about, you know, you, the people in AA, my children, my parents, my mother and I have a great relationship we never have before, um, You know, I've had the same job for a good while, and uh, I was self employed for 20 years before I got sober. So, this is actually my first time in the workforce. I'm filing taxes, I'm doing things at my sponsor's suggestion. It's, you know, some pretty crazy stuff, but. That's why I call it, you know, my little clever disguise as a functioning member of society. I'm learning. I am growing up in AA. And the only thing that I'm doing right is exactly what my sponsor tells me to do and what everybody, every single one of you have said to do since I walked into this door and just practicing these principles or doing the best of my ability to the steps. And when I get asked to do something, I say yes, and, uh, and that goes, Sydney. thank you for, for doing that same thing. These are the people that I hang around, right? I'm in the middle of AA. I'm not in and around. I'm not hovering. I'm inside the circle of AA. And that's the only thing that I do right. And so uh, thank you for asking me to speak. I think it's uh, 10.55 my time. I think that's 8.55 your time. So uh, thank you.